Good afternoon, and we are back. We were off last week. Some activities was happening here in the church, and we took the last week off, so we came back this week, and we are in Chapter 7. Uh, just a little side note, earlier this week, I saw my Facebook timeline where five years ago I started a study in Sunday school of the Minor Prophets. Five years later, we have gotten up to Nahum, or will in uh, two, three weeks, we will start Nahum. So, yeah, it's a kind of a slow process. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house, to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 7 of Revelation has always given some people consternation and, and calls for alarm, but there is nothing scary and there's nothing out of order with chapter 7. Let me go back and say, you know, chapter 6, we was talking about the seals. We had in chapter 6 all the way up to the 6th seal, and you would expect chapter 7 would start with the 7th seal. But there's a little parentheses here, if you will, uh, around chapter 7. And I don't know if any of you write or has written in any kind of stuff before, but go back to your English classes, and they will tell you that if you're going to... I'll say interrupt the flow, but it really didn't interrupt the flow. But if you're going to interrupt the flow of your narrative of your story, you put parentheses around it. So it gives everybody an idea that, well, you're stepping away from the main topic. Chapter 7, they're stepping away from the seals. They're stepping away from the opening of the seals. But before the seventh seal can be opened, there had to be something else that took place. And chapter 7 is that what was needed to be taken place. Verse 1, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Chapter 7 is a parenthesis chapter, as we was talking about. It is not necessarily an interruption in the flow of information, but a pause in the narrative regarding the seven seals. What chapter 7 tells is not regarding an opening of the seven seals. It is not directly connected, but it is indirectly connected. Prior to the opening of the seventh seal, there is something that has to occur first. Now, God could have done this at the very beginning, but he waited until now to perform this action. It is a breather, if you will. While this action takes place, others are getting a little bit of a break. As a young boy growing up the mountains, I remember hearing the weather breeders, especially in the winter months. If it had been cold and snowy, gray and dismal, and then one day the sky was clear and sunshine was everywhere, my parents called that day a weather breeder. Bad weather was coming, and it normally was worse than the previous days. This clear, sunshine-filled day would give us a break, or as some would say, let us catch our breath, a breather. Chapter 7 is a prophecy breeder, a prophetic pause to let us on earth catch their breath before it gets bad again. So we're, we're pausing the opening of the seals, and we're going to do something here. The flat earthers use this scripture to prove that the earth is flat. 
since the scripture says four corners of the earth. Only a flat surface and not a sphere can have four corners. But that's not what he's talking about. Scripture here is really referring to the points of a compass. North, east, south, west. But how? It does not mean literal four corners, but somewhere in the east, west, south, and north, four angels are stopping all the wind from blowing. There will be no wind anywhere on sea or land. Now that doesn't seem, maybe that doesn't seem important to people. But we'll see in a little bit that this is a very important scripture. In Jeremiah 49 verse 36, And upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and will scatter them toward all those winds, and there shall be no nation whither the outcast of Elam shall not come. In this passage, it discovers the four corners of heaven. In Daniel 7 and 2, Daniel spake and I said, I saw a vision by night and beheld the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Again, the four winds of heaven. The four angels are holding back the winds from the east, north, south, and west. But why? Why are they holding back the four winds? We will see that answer in verses 2 and 3 below. Once we read and somewhat understand the following two verses, we will understand that the wind that is being held back are very strong winds and capable of damaging earth and people. And in Daniel again, it says, strove upon the great sea. So we see that these winds are, are very strong winds. Now, I'm not going to tell you like one individual from, I think he's in from Arkansas, he will tell you that in the end times there's going to be a massive storm of, I think he said, 100,000 miles long, and the wind's going to be razor sharp, and it's just going to rip the flesh off of your skin, or it's going to rip the flesh off of your bones. Razor sharp winds. That's not what this is talking about either, okay? I don't think that he understands what's going on, but we won't go there. I saw another angel, verse 2, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, not the seal that Christ was opening on, on the ta or on the rose, but he had the seal. He had a, for a lack of a better term, he had a tattoo. Or he had the phylacteries. And you say, what is a phylactery? Well, I'll explain that in a minute. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and sea. I believe I am pronouncing that correctly, but it's the box that the Jewish priest wears on their forehead or on their hand. And it contains the laws of God. That's a phylactery. And, and that may be the seal that the, the angel has. He may have the, the box or the, but I honestly believe that it is what we would consider a visible sign. Now remember, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but the Antichrist comes and you have to take his number. You have to take the seal of the Antichrist. Well, the Antichrist is everything opposite of God. Here's the seal of the living God. Now you know why the Antichrist has a seal. He's opposite of God. Another angel from the east comes and tells the four angels a message from God. People have been asking for years who this angel is. Is this Gabriel? Maybe it's Michael. Maybe it's Jesus. 
It really doesn't matter who the angel is. What is important is the message the angel delivers. Hold back the wind until the 144,000 are sealed. Well, who are the 144,000? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Verse 3, though, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Again, talking about the seal of God, not the Antichrist seal, not the seal of the Antichrist, the seal of the living God. Hold the four winds, don't let the wind hurt the earth until after the 144 have been, 44,000 have been sealed. The servants of God are going to be sealed against future harm. Up until now, they were battered just as all the earth was battered. But now God says, put a seal on them so they will not be hurt. There was 10 plagues of Egypt, and in order, they are water turned to blood, frogs, lice. Now, the lice in Exodus 8 and 16 says that was the first plague that the Egyptian magicians could not perform. And you can find these uh, plagues in Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10, I believe. Actually, it goes all the way up to 11. So look at those scriptures. Look at those verses. Look at those chapters. Start with Exodus 7. Study 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And you'll get an idea of the plagues of Egypt. Flies. It is right before this plague that God says that he will sever the land of Goshen so that the Israelites are not afflicted with the flies. He doesn't say that for the blood, the frogs, and the lice. He says that in between the lice and the flies. I will sever the land of Goshen, and the Israelites will not be uh, bothered, will not be harmed. The livestock will have a Moran's disease, cattle dies. It's hoof and mouth disease is what we would call it these days, pretty much. Again, Not in Goshen, just in Egypt. Bulls, Exodus 9, 8 through 9. It doesn't say that he's going to sever the land of Goshen and the bulls. But it's in the middle of severing lands. I believe it was one of those that was not affecting the Israelites. I do believe that the blood, the frogs, and the lice affected the Israelites. Hail and fire, nothing in Goshen where the Israelites were. Locust, darkness, but not in the, not in Goshen. And it didn't say anything about the locust not being in Goshen, but again, in the middle of all of this, he's already said sever the land, so I don't believe the Israelites were affected by the locust. Death to the firstborn. That's found in Exodus chapter 11. But not in the homes where the blood was applied. We get Passover from this. The death angel sees the blood and it passes over the home. Everybody that was in that house was safe. Had an Egyptian sacrificed the lamb like they were told, 
or like the Israelites did, and put the blood over the doorpost, the death angel would have passed over. They didn't do it because they didn't believe it. They were, their hearts was hardened, so they did not go there. But they would have been, they would have been uh, passed over just as well. So we see in the ten plagues of Egypt, the first three does not state that God has separated the Egyptians from the Israelites or the land of Goshen. That's where the Israelites was living. We do see right before the fourth plague, the land of Goshen was spared. During the boils and locusts, the scripture do not say that Goshen was separated. It does somewhat imply that the land of Goshen was separated from lice and locusts, but it does not state this directly. Now, in Revelation, we see he, or God, is going to seal 144,000 Jewish people to be able to get through the rest of the tribulation. Nothing in the book tells me that he can't do that. And that seal is to protect those 144,000. Well, why is he going to seal 144,000 Jewish people? You're more apt to listen to someone you know, someone you trust, and someone who has got the same history as you are, or as you do. I would not be more, I would not listen to a Russian more than I would an American. To be honest with you, I wouldn't listen to a city slicker more than I would a mountain person, because the mountain people are my people. And I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. That's just the way. And to this day in the mountains, if you're not from there, you're ostracized for quite a while. You don't just assimilate into that culture and into that, into that climate without a little bit of a struggle. Some years ago, me and a friend of mine stopped at a uh, little old general store in the mountains. They didn't speak to him. I carried on a 20-minute conversation with him. We got out back in his truck and we was going on down the road. He said, they didn't talk to me. I said, because you're not from the mountains. Well, you're not from here. I said, no, I didn't say not from here. I said, you're not from the mountains. You, They knew that. So they didn't want to have anything to do with you. Is it wrong? Is it right? I'll leave that up to you. But that's just the way it is. But that's why God takes 144,000 Jewish people and seals them for the rest of the tribulation, the rest of the time, so that they can witness to the Israelites, the Jewish nation, and more people will come to know the Lord, will come to know Jesus as the Messiah because of these 144,000 witnesses. Because they're one of them. They've got the same history. They've got the same struggles the Jewish nation will listen to them more than they would, say, an American. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, these are the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. Joseph's family was divided into two because of his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. 12,000 from each of the tribes will make 144,000. Simple math. But pay attention to the next few verses because there's something missing. And it's not, I don't know that it's that big of a deal, but people make it a big deal. 
Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. The tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtaliam were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Ishakar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Now, people will go and they'll read this verse or they'll read this chapter and they'll skip over this. Because, well, it's kind of like the begats and the begots in Genesis. And what difference does it make who the daddy was and who the mama was and who the children are? But you need to read the begats and the begots because it tells you and helps you understand later where these people came from. We wouldn't know the story behind Moab if we didn't read who begat Moab in the, in the book of Genesis. Moab was from an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. Now we kind of understand how or why Moab is the way Moab is. We don't understand, or we wouldn't understand current history if we did not understand that Abraham had the two sons, Ishmael and, and Isaac. We wouldn't understand that. But we go back to the begots and the begats and we understand that, that it's very important. A friend of mine had invited another friend of his to church and he had pumped up this preacher. Oh, you've got to listen to this preacher. This preacher's awesome. Oh, he's great. He's great. He stood up there and just read the begats and the begots of Genesis. That's all his service and his sermon was in Genesis. And my friend sitting there shaking his head going, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Did God never come back to church? Well, the minister asked for an altar call, called for the altar call, and he said, look, you know, you got anything, come on up. His buddy got up, went to the altar, and gave his heart to life, to the Lord, that very night. Afterwards, you know, we shouldn't question God's motives. We should not question the way God does things. But he asked his buddy, he said, what in that service made you want to give your heart to the Lord? He said, you wasn't listening to the same service I was. My buddy was like, what do you mean? He said, yeah, there was a lot of begats and begots, but every one of them died. Every one of them died. I got to thinking, that's going to be me one of these days. I've had children. I'm going to die. Where am I going to go? He said, that's what prompted me to the altar. So we don't know why God does things. But we understand that there's 12,000 from each of these tribes for the nation of Israel. But did anybody notice that Dan wasn't mentioned? The tribe of Dan is not mentioned in this, in this list of names. You got Judah, you got Reuben, you got Gad, you got... You know, Nephilim, you got Manasseh, Asher, you've got all of these, Levi, Simeon, Ishakar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Joseph, but no Dan. Where in the world is Dan? And we already talked about Joseph being divided into two because of his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Well, where's, where is uh, Ephraim? 
because of the tribe of Manasseh, we're still 12,000. Where's Ephraim? So we're missing one and a half tribes here. Oh my gosh, God has made a mistake. Oh my goodness, how dare he? He's left out. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Dan's not listed. It doesn't matter that that uh, Ephraim is not listed. So where is the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim? Since Joseph's family was split into two, Ephraim and Manasseh, each of them should have had 6,000, not 12,000. And Dan should have had his 12,000. Note that Joseph was mentioned as well as his son Manasseh. So, so what happened? It's not a big deal. Since Dan is listed in Ezekiel 48 and verse 2, this may be why he's not listed, just a might be. We don't know this for a fact. Ezekiel 48 and 2 says, And by the border of Dan, from the east side unto the west side, a portion for Asher. Ephraim is mentioned just a few verses later in Ezekiel 48 and 5, and by the border of Manasseh, from the east side unto the west side, a portion for Ephraim. Perhaps Joseph listed above is the family of Ephraim, which would make some sense. So we see that instead of using Ephraim's name, they use the word Joseph. It's possible. Okay, it's very possible, but Dan is still missing. And the children of Dan in Judges 18 and 30. And the children of Dan set up the graven image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And in Kings 12, 28 through 29, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he set one up at Bethlehem, or Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Perhaps Dan was not where they needed to be. Maybe they hadn't, maybe they were still in the idolatrous relationships and were not there so that they could be called and have 12 tribes. They did have some idolatry, worshiping false gods. All accounts, they were the first tribe to fall into adultery, uh, idolatry, excuse me. But all the tribes of Israel were at one time guilty of that. So the omission of Dan will be one of the mysteries of Revelation that we are not to know. The word Dan means judge. But in Genesis 49 and 17, we're told that instead of justice, Dan chose treachery. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, an adder to the path that biteth the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backward. But be assured that even though Dan's tribe was admitted, omitted, God has his eye and hand on all of Israel, always has and always will. Dan will not be left out in the end. Some people like to say that these 144,000 represents people from all over Christianity. I don't see how they can say that. It's clear to me that it's 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. It is 12,000 from each, from Jewish nation. They were selected to reach the Jewish nation. That's their job. That's their purpose in this world. 
the Jewish nation would need someone from their very own to actually trust that they could trust to lead them to Christ. See, they've not really fully, most of the nation has not really fully come to the realization that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that they've been looking for for millennials, for time immortal. They've been looking for the Messiah. He's already came. And he was killed, or he died on the cross of Calvary. He wasn't killed. He voluntarily gave his life for a sacrifice. They're looking for that Messiah still to this day. If I'm looking, as a matter of fact, this this evening, I got up from my desk to, to come to the church. I cannot find my billfold anywhere. I have lost my billfold. I have no clue where it's at. Well, I didn't just call my neighbor in and say, hey, come over here and help me look for my billfold. No, I looked up in whom I trust and went, help. When you're in trouble, you want somebody you trust. Would you like to go to a doctor that you don't have any confidence in? I fired four of them because I didn't have any confidence in them. But I did keep some. I'm trying to get back with one that I had a lot of confidence in. I didn't fire this one. I had to leave because of insurance. But I only go to people that I have trust. I take my car to a particular individual because I trust him. When they get to this point in the tribulation, these 144,000 will spread out through the tribes and through the land of Israel, and they will lead a large percentage, if not all, of the Israelites to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Verse 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Now John sees the martyred souls. Some he had saw under the altar after the fifth seal was opened. But now they're all right wearing their white robes. The others are the martyred souls during the tribulation. They make up every nation and all types of people. It's not just going to be Americans in heaven. It's not going to be just one denomination in heaven. We think we like to, we like to often say, well, it's just my church, my church, my church. It's going to be people from all over the world. There's going to be rich people. There's going to be poor people. And when they get to heaven, they're not rich nor poor. We're all rich because we're in heaven, but it's going to be men and women. It's going to be Africans and, and Europeans and Russians and Ukrainians and Americans and South Americans and it's going to have all kinds of people. There's going to be Native Americans. There's going to be uh, people from India. There's going to be people from Turkey. There's going to be people from all over. There's going to be Chinese in heaven. Whether the Chinese government wants to acknowledge that or not, there's going to be Chinese. There's going to be Japanese. There's going to be North Koreans, South Koreans. There's going to be people from all over. What's the surprise is not who's there. The surprise of heaven is who's not there. That's, to me, the surprise of heaven. They're going to make up every nation and all types of people. There's going to be tall ones and short ones and fat ones and skinny ones. All kinds of people. And what are we all going to look like? We're going to be perfect. 
How old will we be? We'll be perfect. There's a whole tradition that says that we'll all be 33 years of age. Because that's when how old Christ was when he got killed. Maybe that's true. Maybe we will all be 33 years of age. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I will be, if I drop dead right now, maybe I go to heaven at 57. But I have no pain. I have no problems. Maybe whatever age you die at. My dad died at the age of 90. Maybe when when I get there, he's going to be 90, but he's not going to be physically 90. He will be 90 years old, but he's not going to be 90 years old because he's not going to have any pain. We don't know what it's like. We don't have a clue. But we know that we'll be perfect. And we know that there will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. There'll be no arthritis. There'll be no disease. There'll be no cancer. Not a coffin will ever be built in heaven because nobody will ever die once they get there. We will live forever. Verse 10 says, And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the lambs. That's what the great multitude is saying. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne. The innumerable souls were now before the throne of God. They are standing and worshiping God. Their sacrifice, the fact that they were martyred for their beliefs in Christ, has allowed them the privilege of standing in the presence of God. That's a great, huge honor. Once we get there, we will get to be around the throne with them. But they get to wear the white robes and they get to stand there and they get to worship God. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. The angels, the 24 elders, the four beasts also were standing before the throne worshiping God. As they worshiped, they fell on their face before the throne. Can you imagine how loud heaven is going to be? Innumerable number of people. The angels, which how many angels there is, I have no clue. We know there's 24 elders and we know there's four beasts. All, everyone is saying and worshiping and crying out and praising God. It's going to be loud. It's not going to be chaotic. It's not going to be noisy. It's going to be loud. And I keep stressing how loud it is because we're going to see something in the next chapter about the loudness of heaven. So I want you to understand that heaven is going to be very loud. You're going to be able to understand what they're saying. It's not going to be like the roar of a baseball game or the roar of a football game or anything like that. It's not going to be the crowds are going wild and they're cheering and hooting and hollering. It just sounds like noise. No, you're going to be able to understand it. Your voice is going to join with them and you're going to be praising and worshiping God. And you're just going to add to the volume that's in heaven. And it's going to be, again, I'm going to say it. It's going to be loud in heaven. Angels stood around the throne. The elders, the four beasts, fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. 
Their worship recorded by John was blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto God forever. This is the same worship we should give God now. Uh, excuse me. The, the glory, God's glory is all around us. Wisdom. Solomon asked for God's wisdom and received it. And yet we got knuckleheads, dunderheads, if you will, running around, running, ruining, not running, but ruining the nations because they're too stubborn to ask for wisdom from God. And that's in every country. Thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Thanksgiving. Honor. Power. Might. We should be worshiping God that way every day. That's how we should worship God today. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Note the word great tribulation. So is there two tribulations? Is there a minor tribulation and now there's a great tribulation? Or maybe there's a lesser tribulation and now there's a great tribulation. Maybe there's two tribulations. One I'm not so bad, the other one, great. Let's look into that for a second. One of the elders asked John who the ones wearing white were that are worshiping God. John was unable to tell him and ask the elder who they were. The elder stated that the ones he is seeing wearing white are the martyrs from the great tribulation. Is the tribulation and the great tribulation the same? Matthew 24 and 21 states, for then shall be the great tribulation. This is Jesus speaking here. For then shall be the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, in Matthew 24, we see the mention of wars and rumors of wars. That's in verse 6. But the end has not come. In Matthew 24, stating in verse 9, Christ explains we will be persecuted and many false prophets will arise. Multiple versions of the Bible, the NASB and original NASB, ESV, NKJV, the Brerarian, just to name a few, this verse is translated to state tribulation, not affliction, and not just persecution. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. If you read the other translations, it reads, then shall they deliver you up to be in tribulation. A lot of Bible scholars will split the seven years of tribulation into two periods. The first three and a half years is tribulation. The last three and a half or the last half is considered the great tribulation. A lot also look at tribulation as two sources of persecution and tribulation. The first half is from men following the Antichrist and the other source is from God. When you look at the seven seals on the scroll, yes, there were four horses of the apocalypse, but they used man to do the persecution. 
They tempted man, man fell in line with them. But the seven trumpets of the Lord, which we study later, is the wrath of God. The robed individuals, we are told by the elder through John, is from the great tribulation period. That means the last half of the seven years of the tribulation. Three and a half years, it's going to be bad, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not, but the last three and a half years is going to be, pardon the words, it's going to be hell on this earth. It's going to get really ugly the last three and a half years. That's about when the Antichrist stands up and makes himself known as God in the temple. That's when he also makes himself known as any of the other gods. He's going to be the Hindu. He's going to be the Buddha. He's going to be whatever God he needs to be to deceive. He's going to walk into the temple of Jerusalem and tradition says that he will stop the animal sacrifices. Sacrifice a pig in the temple. That's tradition. The Jewish nation doesn't like swine. That would be a desecration of their temple. Verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Because they are martyred, they are the honor of standing at the throne of God and worshiping him, just as they were over here at uh, verse 10. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. Because the elder specifically states they will not hunger or thirst, this implies that they were starved or not allowed what we would call the creature comforts uh, while they were alive. Why can't, why would they have starved? These are the individuals, some of the individuals that did not receive the mark of the beast. They were not allowed to buy or sell anything, including food. They shall hunger no more. So they was, they were hungry. They were thirsty. The, they worked hard. They toiled in the sun. They were homeless, if you will. They was out in the sun and the heat at all times because they could not buy or sell anything. They were evicted from their homes. That is some of the way that they will be martyred. For the lamb, verse 17, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into the living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But Christ, who is in their midst around the throne, will provide for them forever. And he will lead them to the rivers of living waters that flows from the throne of God so they can drink and never be thirsty again. There will be no more pain, sorrow. So there will be no need of tears. Remember the lady at the well, the woman at the well? And he said, uh, if you knew who you were talking to, and I'm putting it in my own words, you would ask of me to give you some of this living water where you would never be thirsty again. And she looked at him and said, you don't have anything to draw from. What are you talking about this living water? He was talking about himself. 
if we drink of him, if we accept him, if we consume him, and I'm not talking cannibalism, but if we can consume him, we will never die again. Yeah, we're going to be persecuted. Yes, we're going to have problems here on this earth. He told us that we will suffer trials and tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So he tells us we're going to suffer things. We're going to have to. But we don't. We will not suffer as badly as we could. And we won't suffer forever. Those that do not accept Christ, those that that try to live their life the way they want to live their life without a care or without a worry, when they go to hell, they're going to suffer for eternity. Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man lifted up his eyes, looked over into the bosom of Abraham and said, uh, send Lazarus over here with just a drop of water to cool my tongue. Just a drop of water. That's all I want. I'm not asking for gallons. I'm not asking for a glass. I'm just wanting one drop. Just give me a little bit of a break, guys. Abraham looked at him and said, sorry, can't do that. He can't come over and you can't come over. You made your bed. And, of course, I am using my own words. I can't imagine Abraham saying, you made your own bed. You made it hard, laying it. I can't imagine Abraham doing that. But, you know, if I were there, in my words, that's what I would have told him. You made your bed. You made it hard. Yeah, get used to it. They're going to suffer. He, that rich man, has been suffering since he died 2,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. However long it's been. He's been there. I don't want to go. I do not want to go. I want to be in the part. If I have to stay through tribulation, I won't be the one that gets to go to heaven and stand at the throne if I have to go through tribulation. Maybe I get raptured out of here before tribulation and I get to stand at the throne before that. Maybe I go halfway. I don't know. Maybe I go by the way of the grave. Perhaps that's the way I get to go. It doesn't matter how I get to go. It just matters that I'm ready to go when I'm called. And I'll leave you with this. Ford is not the only industry that recalls its creations. God recalls us all the time. My mom's been, she was recalled in 2000. My dad was recalled in 2015. They passed away. They went by the way of the grave. They got to go home early. My dad would say he didn't get to go home too early. He was 90 when he died. But he still got to go home early. He didn't have to wait for the rapture. He's been there for seven years. My mother's been there for 22 years. My grandfather's been there soon to be 50 years. Just a few years. My grandfather will be there 50 years. My grandmother's been there 36 years. We could continue on and on and on and on. But you understand that they are not hurting no more. They're, in, they're perfect. They're being fed. They're not cold. They're not hot. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They are perfect. They're not, they don't have cancer. They don't have dementia. They don't have a car wreck. They are perfect. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings on our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come to your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll touch and that you'll move on each and every one that, that is listening, that will listen, God. And Lord, that you'll enlarge the territory of those that listen, Lord. Let this word, not because of me, but Lord, because of you, let your word go forth into all of the nations. Lord, wherever you carry it, wherever you want it to go, Lord, I ask that you move and that you touch, Lord, and allow those that wants to hear, that are hungry to hear, Lord, to be able to listen to your words, Lord, and come to a better knowledge and even to a knowledge of you, God. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. We will take up in chapter 8 next week.